You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. When I went to med school, I learned the playbook of modern medicine, which is about disease and about prescriptions and interventions, procedures. I never forgot the fact that around the world is this human knowledge that something that we do elementally three times a day, that is the health care we do for ourselves between doctor's office visits, is our diet. That was Dr. William Lee. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome and welcome back. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Happy Thanksgiving. I am so grateful for you, all of my listeners, and my over 150 guests. It has certainly been an interesting year. And that is an understatement. Who's ready for 2021? I know I am. So every Thanksgiving, I spend the weekend reflecting on the year and planning some goals for the coming year. I also usually sign up for all of my triathlons and running races and map out my training program for the coming year on Training Peaks. This year, I am already signed up for Ironman's Muscleman 70.3 in the Finger Lakes in July. I'm super excited, and if it doesn't happen, I'm just gonna do a triathlon anyway. On another note, this year I have added nutrition in a new way to my goals and intentions for 2021. Typically, my food focus and diet are centered around performance and training and generally being healthy. But this year, I'm really thinking about how I maintain a super strong immune system and boost it to keep viruses at bay. Enter today's guest, Dr. William Lee. I am so excited to share this eye-opening conversation with you. Dr. William Lee is a globally renowned pioneering physician, game-changing scientist, TED speaker, and the author of the groundbreaking New York Times bestseller, Eat to Beat Disease, the new science of how your body can heal itself. You may have seen him on Good Morning America, CNN, CNBC, or Dr. Oz, and you may have read about him in USA Today, Time Magazine, The Atlantic, or O Magazine. But today, he's on Marnie on the Move. Now, before we jump into a conversation, shout out to Marnie on the Move sponsors Inside Tracker, another company that's leveling up my health and wellness game for 2021. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Inside Tracker is offering Money on the Move listeners an amazing deal now through Cyber Monday. Take $200 off their ultimate plan, which is 43 biomarkers. Use our code GIFT from MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. 
Today, Dr. Lee and I are talking about eating to beat disease, all of the incredible foods you may already be eating or should add to your diet, and why. He talks about where his career in medicine began and how he has brought his own philosophy and approach into his practice, which is food as medicine. Dr. Lee explains how our body's natural defense systems are working, including immunity, angiogenesis, the microbiome, DNA, cell regeneration, and how our diets can improve the functionality and health of these systems. We talk about eating to block out COVID. Dr. Lee shares highlights from his really incredible TED Talk, Eating to Starve Cancer. And of course, he shares how he has been staying healthy and fit. Dr. Lee's groundbreaking work has led to the development of more than 30 new medical treatments and impacts care for more than 70 diseases, including cancer, diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. His TED Talk, which I just mentioned, Can We Eat to Starve Cancer, has garnered more than 11 million views, and I highly recommend you watch it. He is president and medical director of the Angiogenesis Foundation and is actively researching COVID-19. I hope you enjoy this game-changing, eye-opening conversation. I certainly hope that you get a copy of his book, Eat to Beat Disease, because it is my new resource for all things food, diet, health, and wellness. Now, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Just head over to the app on your phone or your device, click on five stars, and leave a review. Also, Sign up for our newsletter. It's on the website, marnieonthemove.com, on my Instagram handle. And if you like what you hear, share the podcast on your Instagram stories, on your Facebook page. Tell your friends what you love about what you're listening to. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay fit, and enjoy. You magically appeared on my radar because everything that you talk about is 100% my vibe. Mm -hmm. I'm really psyched to talk to you today because, first of all, your book is awesome awesome. Thank you. I want to send it to everyone I know because people, (laughs) you have to eat healthy to be healthy. That is completely true. And you know, the thing I think about healthy eating is that it seems off-putting unless you realize how easy it actually is. And what I'm all about, because I'm not only am I a scientist and a doctor, but I I actually really enjoy enjoy food. I wouldn't say I enjoy eating. For me, I'm very selective about what I eat, but I do enjoy food. And so to take away the joy of food kind of makes it what's the point. So that's why I've always tried to combine those two worlds. What inspired you to go into medicine, to become a doctor, and then to bring this philosophy of food as medicine into your practice? Yeah, so I have a little bit of an unusual background because I, when I was in college, I was a science major. I studied biochemistry, but I was always really interested in the creative arts, and so I spent a lot of time in the art studio. And for me, kind of this right brain, left brain, science and arts, uh, the kind of creative mix has always been part of my own DNA, I suppose, in my life. And I graduated college before I went to med school. I actually did a gap year. And this was long before gap years were popular. And I went to the Mediterranean. So this is 1985. People didn't take gap years, especially if they're going to be doctors. And most of them didn't go to the Mediterranean. But I went there to actually study the diet and culture and health of people who lived in the Mediterranean. So I lived in Italy and Greece. So I was actually walking the walk 
living the life long before anybody was talking about Mediterranean food. And then after that, I spent a little time in Asia as well, all this before I went to medical school. And so when I went to med school, and I can tell you more about my adventures and, and some of the learnings I had when I was living abroad. But when I went to med school, I learned the playbook of modern medicine, which is about disease and about prescriptions and interventions, procedures. I never forgot the fact that around the world is this human knowledge that something that we do elementally three times a day, that is the health care we do for ourselves between doctor's office visits is our diet. I eventually came back to that because I realized the patients I was taking care of, they should have had the opportunity to prevent the diseases to begin with. And as a doctor, I realized I was never taught that in med school. So I decided to pull kind of my scientific background into this to say, can we merge these two worlds? Can these worlds collide of actually bringing real science, real evidence, real research to really understand food as medicine? It's, it's true that a lot of doctors don't get that education. I think things are starting to shift. What were some of your like key learnings that really were game changers for you? You said maybe one of your adventures. Yeah. Well, you know, a, a lot of what you see in my book, Eat to Beat Disease, actually was inspired by, uh, when I was writing the book, by the things I recalled when I was in Italy, for example. So I talk in my book about the fact that a study of almost 40,000 men showed that those who ate two to three servings of cooked tomatoes per week had an almost 30% reduction in the risk of prostate cancer. And the amount that you have to have in a serving is only about a half a cup, right? And so I remember when I was living in Italy, you know, when you go to the markets, there were all these different kinds of tomatoes. And unlike making a gigantic vat of tomato sauce and keeping it on, you know, kind of Las Vegas buffet style, uh, people in Italy ate actually really sparing amounts of pasta. It was really kind of a first course to kind of warm up the warm up the, the palate, so to speak. And the amount of tomato sauce was not that much that was actually used when tomatoes were used at all. And so you know, I, I remember being surprised having, you know, grew up in the United States and having the, the red sauce, Italian American food, how sparing it was. And then when you actually spoke to the people who were cooking and I spoke to chefs and I talked to, you know, people who were doing home cooking and I would watch them cook. They really took great care in what they put into their tomato sauce as well. The herbs, the spices, the kind of olive oil. And, they, you know, there was a whole narrative around cooking so that if you just watch somebody make a meal, it, it was like listening to a tribal chief tell a story about the food. And that, that was so amazing to me. And so I, I realized that we don't eat individual ingredients, even though we often think about the health of individual ingredients, but food is eaten in combinations. And those combinations of food tell us something about ourselves, our childhood, our families, our communities, our culture. And that's what really kind of could the culinary aspect of food and medicine is. It should be something that we lean into because we really want to love it. I love that about your book, Eat to Beat Disease. Just like, I'd love to rewind for a second before we do this like deep dive into all of the amazing philosophies and foods in your book. One of the things that you talk about in your book, which I didn't really know a lot about, is angiogenesis. And the fact that we have 60,000 miles of capillaries running through our bodies, that to me is amazing. And how you look at this revolutionary system as you look to be healthy and fight disease. Can you kind of explain this system to me and how it works and why it's revolutionary? Yeah, sure. Well, listen, angiogenesis sounds like a really complicated term. Many people won't have heard about it, but I would just tell people that, you know, a hundred years ago, 
if you use the word antibiotic, that we would have thought that was a tongue twister and everybody knows about it now, regardless who you are. And that's really how science advances is things that are kind of not well-known become better known. So what is angiogenesis? Angiogenesis is how our body grows blood vessels and why are blood vessels important is because every single cell in our body, every organ, every function we have critically depends on getting oxygen and getting nutrients. And that's what our blood vessels do. When I was training as a medical doctor, Marnie, I, we get trained and, and I think most listeners, most of your listeners will think about their health or their sicknesses in terms of specific organs or specific disease states. And everybody tries to pigeonhole uh, things into these little silos. I've got Alzheimer's, I've got autoimmune, I've got IBD. But reality is, and this is what brought me to blood vessels is I was interested in what are common denominators of health and disease? What links everything together? And the answer was blood vessels, angiogenesis, how our body grows blood vessels, links everything in our body. And we got a lot of stuff in our body. And so, and that's really the, the amazing fact is that we've got, we've actually got 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels. These are Big blood vessels running down the center of your body to the tiny little tributaries, little capillaries that kind of like in your fingertips, 60,000 miles that's help bring oxygen and nutrients. Whatever we eat, whatever we breathe gets delivered to the rest of our body through these blood vessels. So that's why it's so important that our blood vessels are healthy. Now, actually, until about 40 years ago, we knew very little about blood vessels, except that you could make them bigger when they dilate, vasodilate, or you can shrink them down and the blood pressure goes up, for example. But now we know that in fact, our blood vessels um, uh, actually act like an ecosystem. It's kind of like the great barrier reef of blood vessels, so to speak. They're, they're everywhere and they're very dynamic and they're this living, breathing system we have to take care of. And when we eat the right things, our blood vessels thank us because they, and by, they thank us by actually being super healthy and delivering all the nutrients that our cells need for health. When we mistreat them, and we can mistreat them by eating the wrong things, we can clog them up, we can damage the lining, then our, our whole body suffers everywhere. And sometimes when, when the vessels actually misbehave, and a great example of this is cancer, cancer cells are, are harmless. In fact, all of us, you and I both have cancer growing in our body, just like everyone else on the planet. And they're harmless. It's like a pimple that forms in our body and they can't grow bigger than about a millimeter in diameter. That's about the size of the tip of a ballpoint point pen. And those cancers can't grow because they don't have a blood supply. So they're not fed. And eventually our immune system will cruise by, you know, kind of like a um, cop on a beat uh -huh. and get rid of, <laughs> and, and, and get rid of those cancer cells. And that's why most of us never develop cancers when we're younger, even though we're developing them like pimples. But if those cancer cells um, those tiny little microscopic cancers are able to hijack our blood vessels. So this is like the terrorist in our body. They release proteins like fertilizers, and they basically go to healthy blood vessels, say, hey, you, come here, check this out. And when they start growing to the tumor, it actually starts feeding the cancer. And that's the trigger between a harmless cancer and a deadly one. In fact, there's research that's been done showing that if you don't have blood vessels touching a tumor, it'll stay there forever until the immune system takes care of it. But the moment a tumor gets a blood vessel to start feeding it, it can grow 16,000 times in size in just two weeks. Wow. So this is like the difference between a harmless cancer and a lethal one. And that's why, you know, that was what I talked, did my TED talk on. Right, your TED is, talk was uh, amazing. I loved it. Oh, it was game changing for my health right now. You know, it was this discovery that we could actually starve cancer by cutting off the blood supply. And I, I spent 
you know, 25 years helping to develop medicines that can actually do that. And then we started realizing that, you know what, we should be preventing cancers, not just treating them. And, and you can't prevent things using drugs, but you can prevent things using food. So that's how I got into food as medicine. You talk about angiogenic therapy and chemotherapy as ways to treat cancer. So obviously they're both very different, but why would you go in one direction versus the other? And what is it specific to the type of cancer? And are there certain drugs that you've developed that you're using that are better than others? Yeah. So, I mean, look, it's not one or the other. Sometimes they're used both together. It's whatever is going to help the patient. It's kind of like mixed martial arts, you know, the right. MMA. Yeah. You go in there and you use whatever style you're going to use to win. But I will tell you, um, um, chemotherapy, you know, everybody knows chemo and fears chemo. Most people don't know the history of chemotherapy. It came from wartime. When we talk about the war against cancer, uh, you know, we use all these battle illusions. It turns out that chemotherapy came about really, but there was a warship that actually had a mustard gas that was blown open during an attack and toxic, deadly fumes spread throughout the city and, and killed a lot of people. But ironically, some of the people that were in the hospital who had cancer survived. And when they looked, when the doctors looked at those patients that had been exposed accidentally to mustard gas, they realized that, hey, you know what? Actually, the, the exposure killed their cancer. And so that was the origin of chemotherapy, literally toxins released, exposed to the body. And some people made it and some people didn't, right? It sounds really familiar because that's how we, that's the experience of cancer patients, okay? Right. Now, about 20 years ago, I was sort of at the, at, at the very beginning of this new frontier. We said, you know what? We shouldn't be just um, blasting cancer patients. I mean, you get more side effects than you get beneficial effects, usually. Um, and uh, so what if we can be more targeted? What if we can be more precise? What if we could actually create smart bombs to go after cancers? What if we could starve the cancer by cutting off the blood supply? So that's the page of the playbook that I actually went to develop was how do we cut off the blood supply to cancer. So some of these dozen, some, and growing list of anti-angiogenic drugs uh, are given alone. Some of them are pills, some of them are infusions. Some of them are used with chemo and they work really well with chemo. And some some of them you, are just a pill, you just take it by itself for kidney cancer. Got it. And in fact, some, some of these are so powerful in terms of their utility that they, they're used to even treat things, diseases outside of cancer. So there's a medicine called Avastin that um, is used to treat colon cancer and other cancers that oncologists use, that ophthalmologists, eye doctors, realized that they could actually use to treat blindness of aging, age-related macular degeneration. And so you can hop across fields by looking at common denominators and help. So there's more bang for the buck, right? Right. And that's basically what we're always looking for is economies of scale efficiencies. And so androgenesis is one of those fields that like, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And now, how have you been looking at angiogenesis as you explore COVID and treatments to prevent or help people overcome the symptoms? It turns out that when this past spring in March 2020, I was, I'm sure you and I were exactly this, we were shell-shocked when we were broadsided by this pandemic and everybody's lives got upended. And I was in my house realizing that we were isolated much in the same way that people during the Middle Ages were isolated. And when I was in college, I, I loved to study Renaissance and medieval history. And I remember during the plague in, in Northern Italy in the 1600s, people were stuck in their house uh, in Venice as the plague was raging around them. And everybody stood there like locked behind closed doors in fear, waiting for the town crier 
to tell them it was safe to go back into the village square again, right? Sounds familiar. Yeah. And so I was like, wait a minute, we've got to be more advanced than medieval people. And so I realized that science was on our side. And so I, I felt so compelled to do something, you know, what, what little bit could I actually contribute to helping to solve this enigma? Because every human on the planet was affected by uh, this coronavirus. And so I managed to get a hold of some autopsy tissue from people who died of COVID. And I was part of this big group that we organized, people from Belgium and Switzerland and uh, Germany and the United States. And we dove into the, to try to figure out what was going on in these patients. And what we discovered was astounding, Marnie. We found that this respiratory virus that causes a lung problem, and we know that happens, actually, once it's in the lung, makes a beeline to infect our blood vessels, which is involving angiogenesis, okay? And so, and, and we had the first pictures of this, of the coronavirus infecting our blood vessels and spreading along our blood vessels and damaging our blood vessels. And all of a sudden, it became clear why we're having these blood clots and why people are having strokes and right. weird things in COVID toe and kidney failure. And so I wound up actually becoming one of the main COVID researchers, and we published our work in the New England Journal of Medicine in May. And so now I'm so deep in this, and I I didn't expect that, you know, this pandemic would drop into my lap because it actually causes blood vessel problems. And what we're finding is that not only does the acute COVID infection, um, infection with COVID, that causes COVID cause blood vessel problems, but even in the long haulers, the people who test negative, that have recovered from the lung COVID, no more fever, no more this, but, you know, weeks or months later, they are having extreme exhaustion, brain fog, trouble breathing, racing heart. And we're beginning to see that that is also a blood vessel problem. So yeah, I am totally on top of this thing, racing to figure out how do we help people who have suffered COVID recover by healing their blood vessels. How can we be prepared? Every health system of our body is attacked by COVID, from our immune system to our circulatory system to our lungs and our respiratory system to our microbiome. Like, how do we prepare now? Like, what can we eat to keep our body in a space of optimal health? We're going to do fine, Marnie. And, and, you know, the thing about this horrible pandemic is that old adage, it too will pass. None of these pandemics last forever. They, they do get better. And there are things on the way, like the vaccines, that will hopefully help us round the curve. But we're not there yet. We're still pretty deep in it. So the question you're asking is so important. What have we learned after, let's say, you know, these eight months or by the end of this year? What are the key lessons that we've learned that can actually help us as individuals? Doctors don't have most of the answers. In fact, they never had the answers at the beginning. Hospitals didn't have the treatments. So it's really about us individuals individually arming ourselves and trying to do something, caring for ourselves, self-care, right? So this is where science is on our, on our side again, where angiogenesis is actually on our side again, and where diet and eating to beat disease is. I wrote my book long before the pandemic, but I, I realized just how important it is. So let me, let me just sort of outline a couple of okay. key points. Number one, we need to do everything possible to protect ourselves from getting covid to begin with. Now, obviously, masks and social distancing and outdoors and all that, all the usual public health things that are so important for everyone to do. But the one thing that we've all had to do during this pandemic is to reacquaint ourselves with our pantry, our kitchen, our refrigerator, our stoves. And because when we go out to shop, and I'm sure this is true for you too, Marnie, you go out to you know buy something, you're like scurrying out 
trying to figure out what you want to get and you're not spending right. a lot of time browsing and lingering and hanging out. You're bringing your stuff back to your kitchen. So what are you choosing and what can you choose to boost your immune system? So number one is to choose foods that we know can arm our immune system to be that front gate to defend ourselves from getting infected. So what can we do? Well, we breathe this respiratory virus in, so we want to protect our nose and our mouth. Guess what naturally protects our nose and our mouth is we normally have antibodies that are already in our mucus, in our nose, and in, in the saliva in our mouth. And, and mm -hmm. it turns out that mushrooms, eating mushrooms, white button mushrooms, just a cup uh, or so of mushrooms can actually elevate the number of antibodies, the amount of antibodies that are in our nasal secretion. Those, that's like locking your front door, you know, prevent somebody really? from breaking in. Yeah, you have more antibodies. If the virus comes knocking, it's not going to be able to get in that easy because the, the antibodies tackle it. Is it any kind of mushroom? So we know what's in the mushroom. It's The studies have been done with a white button mushroom, but I'll give you the hack. Inside the white button mushroom is a type of soluble fiber called beta-glucan. Beta-glucan is not only in the cap of the mushroom, right, which is what most people eat. It's also in the stem of the mushroom. The stem of the mushroom is called stipe, S-T-I-P-E. So you want to eat both. In fact, there's more of this beta-glucan in the stem than in the cap. Cap's good, stem's even okay. better. Now, guess what? It's not just a white button mushroom, but mushrooms like shiitake and portobello all have beta-glucan. And if you wanted to ask the question that I always ask is, okay, so which food has the most amount? Yes. Turns out it's the chanterelle mushroom, this golden chanterelle mushrooms. You know, you see them in mushrooms, you know, whenever they have specialty mushrooms. And then uh, they're, they're really super packed with this beta-glucan. And, and so you're like, well, you know, those don't, don't, don't those just come out in the summertime? Yep, they are summer mushrooms. But the great news is that the research has been done showing that you can dry the mushrooms. So you can get dried mushrooms which you can get year round right. and you can order them right. online and you can order chanterelles and you'll get your big bang for the buck there too. So, so eating mushrooms, absolutely good for you. Actually, another thing that's been getting into flu season, right? Really important to actually protect ourselves against the flu. Besides getting a flu shot, it turns out that broccoli and broccoli sprouts can boost your body's ability to ramp up your immunity against the flu, against viruses. And so this has been a study that was actually done looking at a bunch of young college-age people who are going to get a flu vaccine through a nose spray, and they gave half the kids a shake made with a couple of cups of broccoli sprouts. So, you know, two cups of sprouts put into a blender, smooth, you know, turn into a, into a smoothie or a shake, and they drank those, and they had 23 times the immune response to the flu vaccine to defend themselves against the flu by having the vaccine and having a shake made with broccoli sprouts. It's pretty, pretty, wow. pretty amazing, right? So, so that's amazing. So far, I'm good. So, I've got a checklist over here. Excellent, excellent. excellent. Mushrooms check. Yep. Broccoli check. Exactly. They're still at the farmers market. <laughs> Where are we headed? We're headed into the fall, right? So, what do we think of as you know a fall berry? Like summer berries are really great. By the way, blueberries are amazing. Blueberries, just a, just a couple of fistfuls of blueberries, actually will ramp your baseline immunity, your natural killer cells really up. So just blueberries for breakfast, blueberries for a smoothie, blueberries for dessert, baking blueberries, putting blueberries in your bread, all those, it's all good. You know, blueberries are good. They're summer fruit. What about something you find in the fall, winter? Cranberries. So it turns out that cranberries are actually good for you. And you, you know that old adage that women hear about from high school age, like 
Well, if you drink right. cranberry juice, you won't have bladder infections because it changes the pH, right? right? Okay. Yes. Well, it's not really the pH. It turns out that there's a natural, natural substance in cranberries that are called elagitanins that actually ramp up when you drink cranberries or you eat cranberries, it ramps up part of your immune system. And there's something called the delta gamma uh, T cell. It's, uh, it's one of your immune system super soldiers. And it lives in all of the crevices in your body, in your bladder, uh, in your mouth. And, it's, and it basically is a first responder. So basically, if a virus or a bacteria tries to home invade your body, this is your guard dog. This is your Doberman or your pit bull that you got. Right. And it just tackles it. Cranberry juice and eating cranberries will naturally boost that. So berries, blueberries, cranberries, mushrooms, uh, broccoli sprouts. Also, frozen blueberries are good Absolutely. from the supermarket. Like it, it's better than nothing. And when, when they're flash frozen, Marnie, they're yeah. They're, they're locked in. They lock in their goodness. And, you know, it's interesting. I was mentioning to you, I was just giving a presentation and taking part in a space program, thinking about food for astronauts going beyond the International Space Station to the moon or the Mars. And, you know, one of, right. the, one of the big issues there is how do you actually make food, the goodness of food, stable in space? You know, it turns out that frozen foods and, and uh, are really, really important. So I the same thing, by the way, not just for berries, um, but if you flash freeze uh, other vegetables like broccoli and carrots and all that kind of stuff, you, you can still lock in some of the goodness. That's good. Other immune foods, olive oil, which is a healthy oil, doesn't mean you should drink it like, you know, water. But, but if you're going to use oil for cooking or dipping, use olive oil contains this polyphenol called hydroxytyrosol. Hydroxytyrosol is actually boosts your immune system, helps ramp up your immune system. Now, here's the interesting thing. So, you know, rather than use butter or some other dairy product, use olive oil for, for cooking if you're gonna use it. But here's the thing, hydroxytyrosol, which is, is found in olive oil, is actually mostly found in the fruit of the olive itself. And so you can just eat whole olives in order to be able to get this. And in fact, there is a kind of a new Something I'm excited by is this thing called olive water. I don't know if you've heard about this. No, not yet. Okay, so take olives and you, you press the olives, you know, the extra virgin olive oil. The oil comes out of okay. the olive. Now, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of uh, oil in an olive, but it's mostly water. And so the farms will actually capture the oil and all the water just kind of gets drained away. If you've ever, you know, I don't know if you enjoy olives. I, I, I love olives. I love olives. Right. So that, that one, and so think about the juice that comes out of an olive. Have you ever cooked with an olive, like a Moroccan dish or a Southern French yes. dish? It's or a caper. Or a caper, yeah. yeah, like exactly. You get this, you get this delicious mouth-watering flavor that olives actually bring with a little lemon and all kind of stuff, a little garlic. Well, it turns out that that comes from olive water and, and the water is actually being thrown away. And so that reclaiming the olive water, which you can drink and you can cook with, is packed with hydroxytyrosol. So that's another way of actually boosting your immune systems. Olives or olive oil. Let's see, I'll give you one more. What about um, uh, pomegranate juice? Yeah, love pomegranates. That's great. Me, yeah. me too. So that incredible dark ruby color of pomegranate juice comes from a, you know, a, a natural dye from Mother Nature called anthocyanin. And it turns out that when you drink pomegranate juice, the anthocyanin stimulates your gut naturally to create more mucus. So 
and that's healthy. You want, you want your gut to have mucus because it helps things kind of slide through your gut and not get stuck. Well, it turns out there's a natural bacteria, part of our healthy gut microbiome, the healthy bacteria in our gut, right. that's called Acromantia mucinophila. This is that Acromantia loves mucus. In fact, it grows in mucus like a, like a, like a summer garden. And it turns out that, that if you, when you have pomegranate juice, it creates some mucus. The mucus helps the acromantia grow. That acromantia, healthy gut bacteria, acromantia, primes your immune system to make you more immune to resist infections. And also, by the way, um, there was a study done by my colleague, um, Dr. Laurence Zitvogel in Paris, that showed that um, if you had more acromantia in your body and you're a cancer patient, you're more likely to survive if you get an immune therapy. And so, you know, what's not to like about pomegranate juice? Um, it, it's really, it tastes great. You don't need that much of it either. You only need like eight fluid ounces a day to get the, to get the effect. And you can also get it without sugar, yeah. like real pomegranate juice. Like you don't need to get no, the kind that's loaded with yeah. sugar. Just So we're like talking about the immune system. It's the front line. It's like, you've got to take care of this part of your body first. But then there's also, you also talk about foods that, you could eat if you have excessive angiogenesis or a lack of angiogenesis. The key thing is that, you know, you're, I, I talk about more than 200 foods in my book. And, yes, and, you do. So I think everyone should buy your book <laughs> so that they can have it as a major resource for your diet, like moving forward. It's really awesome. Thank you so much. And, you know, I really feel that anybody who's ever been daunted by healthy foods should just take a look at, go to the back of my book and look at the list of all these foods. And what I tell people to do is take a pencil or pen and circle all the foods that you already love on the list. There's 200 of them. And, and if you circle them and you're like, oh my gosh, the foods I already love are good for me, then you're already ahead of the game because you, you know the stuff you like is good for you. And so here's the good, here's also a part of the good news is that if you eat, I, I focus on what you should add to your diet rather than what you should cut out. You know, so many right. people focus on don't do this, don't do that. But I, I you know, I, I think human nature abhors deprivation. So when somebody tells you you can't do something, the brain naturally goes, well, maybe I'll do a little, maybe I'll eat a little bit of it, you know, or maybe I'll go try it out. Yeah. But I, I want people to realize that bounty, deliciousness, things that you already love or, thing, or things that you want to try. And this is why I was mentioning to you, I've spent time traveling, living in Europe, like immersing myself into culinary cultures. You know, if, if you uh, find a genre of cuisine that you love, Italian, Japanese, Thai, Greek, whatever it is, and you already know there's something you like there, I would encourage people to explore those healthy ingredients that are the 200 list of my book further in that genre of cuisine. You want to cook, go online and search a recipe from that ingredient and try it yourself. If there's something you see that you haven't tried before, uh, I'll, I'll throw one at you, Marnie. Um, have you had squid ink? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. And I tried it because of my friend Scott Conan, who, when he first opened his restaurants, Scarpetta, and I don't even know if it was called Scarpetta then, he had me do a squid ink shot of some sort that was a dare. <laughs> I love squid ink. And it's something and it's something that some that many people haven't tried before and might be yes. curious about, you know, like what it is, but maybe they don't want to try it. Well, here, I'll tell you what you can do with squid ink. Number one, tastes great. You can mix it in a pasta. You can make a sauce out of it. In Venice, they actually stew other seafood in 
cuttlefish ink. It's this incredible, you know, they serve it with polenta. You get this beautiful golden black. And it just, it's got this great seafoody taste. But uh, let me tell you what it does for your health. Number one, it protects your DNA from damage in the environment. So what kind of damage do you get? Well, you know, if you're filling your car with gas and you're smelling those fumes, those fumes are damaging your DNA and your lung. If you are out in the sunshine, in addition to the vitamin D that you need from 15 minutes of sunshine a day, you can get more than that. You're stuck in traffic or at the beach or whatever. For a long period of time, you're damaging your DNA and your sun. So squid ink is one of those mother nature DNA protectors that's good for you. And it tastes really great. It also protects your stem cells. So, you know, as we're all getting older, we want to stay youthful. Our stem cells live in our bone marrow and aging and environmental toxins and exposures, they can stun our stem cells, making it harder for us to regenerate naturally from the inside out. Squidding protects that. So that's an example, by the way, of an adventure you can go on. Or another one, it sounds like you've been to Scarpetta and you know people who are restaurateurs. What I personally love and I, I can't wait to the day when I can start going back out to restaurants to really enjoy creativity. Yeah. See things I haven't seen before and, and, and ask myself, like, what is that? You know, like, is it good? Should I try it? Especially seafood. I, I did not know this until I was really deep, doing a deep dive into the research. But oysters also boost your immune system. Do you know that? Really? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Pacific oysters have a natural protein, a peptide, and a natural polysaccharide. Um, that actually activates your immune system. And in fact, it's so powerful that when research, cancer researchers study, you know, um, uh, uh, this to, to, uh, as a treatment for cancer, like it can ramp up your immune system so much that they can actually start to shrink cancers. So um, in the research, it's not, you know, eating oysters on a half shell with the mignonette sauce. Um, they, they actually take oysters and they boil them down and when you boil down an oyster, it caramelizes them. So you can tell, Marty, I actually, I like to cook and I like to eat. You cook. You're a chef. I get it. Yeah, I, I could hear it from this conversation. <laughs> and as you're boiling down and caramelizing your oysters, yeah. what do you get? You get oyster sauce, which is you what you actually see in a Chinese restaurant. Brown sauce. Right. So anyway, so there's all these different ways that you can actually light up your health and your immunity, particularly in this stage of the pandemic, using foods that actually taste great. I love that. Light up your health. I mean, you know, you didn't mention resveratrol, but it's also like one of those really amazing things that also helps with epigenetics, with oh, yeah. DNA, right? Mm -hmm. And with stem cells. You nailed it. So resveratrol is, you know, found in grapes. It's found in red wine. It actually does help our stem cells. It protects our DNA. It starves cancer by cutting off the blood supply, all kinds of goodness. It's found in chestnuts, not just in wine, not just in grapes. It's found in lots of different kinds of foods that are worth exploring, I should say. It's hard to actually drink enough red wine to be able to get the amount of resveratrol right. that they use. So that's one of the few natural compounds that I say is worth looking at a supplement for because, you know, no, yes. nobody wants to slug down that much wine's not good for you. And you, you'd have to yeah. eat a ton of grapes. But, you know, in general, I, I suggest people to try to eat whole foods because you're not just getting one thing, you're getting the bounty of everything Mother Nature packed into her food. I agree. Food is best and supplements should really be used as supplements. I use some potion, which is a I do a lot of adaptogenic mm -hmm. mushrooms, mm -hmm. not all the time, but just like seasonally here and there depends on what's going on. But reishi, that's a great mushroom to have in a supplement. You can put it in your smoothie. I don't know how much value there is in it 
as a supplement as opposed to just eating the actual mushroom, but... Yeah, so, you know, I've, I've actually done some research on reishi, and it's one of these really interesting mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms that have been used in Asian culture for thousands of years. Um, in fact, you know, all the modern stuff is sort of just blast from the past, kind of warming it back up right. for us. And so, yeah, I mean, it actually helps your immunity. It, it um, provides more energy. I think that for some of these medicinal products, there's some of them are so powerful that you want yes. to be careful not to overdo it. Uh, I write about in my book, the whole concept of food doses. And food, yes. food doses are actually really important because we think about how many calories we're eating. We think about how many serving sizes, the, or the portion size. But the reality is, is that if you look at quantities of food, there are certain quantities mm -hmm. that give you benefit. And like I talked about the tomato sauce, right? So two to three uh, ounce, uh, servings of cooked tomatoes, a half a cup a serving a piece. That's not very much. You could have more if you want, but you don't need very much. I'll, I'll throw something back out at you that maybe maybe your listeners might be interested in. Mm -hmm. I did some research in an area because I was confused about it myself, and that's about soy. A lot of people, especially women, have heard that soy is dangerous to have because it could be uh, linked to breast cancer. And other people say there's a lot of processed soy and it's not good for your health. Right. Well, I noticed in my travels that, and as a doctor, that women in Asia who get breast cancer are not told to eat less soy. In fact, they're told to eat more soy, okay? And, and they don't have a worse outcome. In fact, sometimes they have a better outcome. And so I did research to figure out like what is actually in soybeans, edamame, tofu, miso, you know, those like soy products right. that, that are traditional in nature. And it turns out there's a natural phytoestrogen, a plant estrogen that's in soy that's really powerful. And the urban legend, as it turns out, is that the um, soy phytoestrogen, genistein, is dangerous for women because it could activate the estrogen receptor, which is associated with some forms of breast cancer. Turns out, if right. you look at the chemi chemistry of the soy estrogen, it looks nothing like the human estrogen. It's a plant estrogen, not a human estrogen. In fact, in the body, in the human body, it blocks the estrogen. It's kind of like Mother Nature's tamoxifen, which is a drug used to block estrogen, okay. used yes. to treat breast cancer. And there was a study of 5,000 women in Shanghai who had breast cancer. And it found that those women who ate more soy with breast cancer lived longer and had better outcomes overall. And so how much did you need from that study? How much soy? Let's talk about dose. You only needed about 10 grams of soy protein a day, which is the amount of soy protein you get in a glass of soy milk every day. Okay. So not, not right. a lot achievable. It, you know, this is where science kind of like plows open where the mythology is. And I only tell people eat like the, the whole food soy or the traditional forms of soy. What you really want to be careful about is that there's a lot of soy used as fillers and processed foods and that's not right something that you want to do like that's all preservatives and additives and fillers but again i'm one of the people that's involved with sort of the carving open plowing open the the, the frontiers for food as medicine and the only way that we're really going to be able to get this widely known and accepted by everybody from the medical community to like right now you know people the public actually some people are really they studied themselves, but we need doctors to get behind this. We need insurance companies to get behind it. Yes. We need employers to get behind it. We need restaurants to get behind it as well. Everyone needs to understand what we eat is how we care for the health of our body. And it's the health care we do three times a day.
And in your book, you offer such an easy way to do this. You have this like five by five by five plan to get on the right track. So what's the premise behind that? Yeah, well, so I wanted to find a super, super easy way for everybody to benefit from what I know and what I do for myself. Okay, so let's let's start this out. Our health is not just the absence of disease. It's because we've got our body's hardwired health defense systems firing on all cylinders from the time we're born to our very last breath. So what are those five health defense systems? Our circulation, angiogenesis, our stem cells, because we do regenerate in from the inside out um, very slowly to, re- to keep ourselves youthful. We have our gut microbiome, our healthy bacteria that's mostly in our gut. We've got our DNA. More than the genetic code, it actually protects our body against damage from the environment and our immune system, which is more powerful than we ever thought. Okay. And by the way, that last part, I'll tell you, even somebody in their 80s or 90s, if they have cancer and their immune system is able to spot the cancer, even if it's spread, the cancer spread, we now know that your immune system is powerful enough to completely eliminate the cancer, okay? So really powerful. Those five health defense systems, you, you can eat all kinds of foods that activate those health defenses. And that's really what I write about. There's more than 200 foods. So how on earth are you right. gonna actually put that to, to use every day? So I, I developed this idea, five by five by five. It's not a diet, it's not a rigid diet. It's a flexible diet that people can adapt and choose what they want. Here's what I want people to know. Just know that your body is working on your behalf. It's got five health defenses that we just talked about. And then and what you want to do is eat at least one thing every day for each of those defenses. And you can easily find those lists in a book. Some people are taking right. pictures in their cell phones when they're or just ordering stuff. And so you want to make sure you're priming your each of your defenses with at least one choice every day. And then that's the second five. And the third five is really that, you know, we, most of us encounter food about five times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, couple of snacks or dessert, right? So, so it's, that's the easy way. Five health defenses, feed each of the five once a day. And, uh, uh, and, and every time that you encounter food, which is about five times a day and just get that list you know, kind of commit it, you know, you can put it on your cell phone or just memorize it um, or just recognize the things you love on it. And then when you go out to right. navigate, like whenever I see, um, when I go shopping, I, I immediately, like the Terminator, I know exactly what I'm looking for because I recognize it's, hey, yeah. it's one of the good ones. I will go for that. Or on a menu, you know, um, uh, I, you know, I always try to um, coach people for healthy eating at a restaurant. Don't get, yes. don't get, um, worn down by focusing on the big protein choices. It's beef or chicken or fish. Like, don't, don't do that. Um, what I do for healthy eating is I, I cruise the whole menu and I'm looking for, and I love it when chefs describe this in their menu. I look for what they're writing about. They, they put into the dish. There's a squash blossom or this is made with olives or, you know, something that, that I know is healthy, that's tasty. And then I'll decide if I want the protein or not. That's awesome. You're so busy keeping everybody healthy and doing all this amazing research. And your book is a New York Times bestseller and you're like working hard. But, but what do you do to stay healthy? Like what's your workout or wellness routine that keeps you able to help everyone else? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you how I do it myself. I mean, it actually starts first with making sure I get good sleep. Sometimes we think about sleep as a thing we do at the end of the day. Right. And we wake up from and but I, I view my sleep as very much part of my day because the body recharges itself. You regenerate it. Wait, your stem cells are working at night. Food and, and all the things you're eating are actually going to work on behalf of your body at night. You know, there's a, the night shift is really important inside your body. And so I, I make right. sure I get 
you know, good quality sleep. Now, do I stay up late sometimes? Absolutely. But I, I, I really am very conscious about that, number one. Number two, during the day, I stay active. And during lockdown, it's really tough. But I'm walking. I'm trying to do some workouts in my house. You really want to stay active. In fact, I, I, would, I would actually say during the pandemic, you know, in lockdown, I probably have been more mindful of getting out and doing something every day more so than when I, you know, when I was rushing around traveling all over the country, all over the world, you're distracted. Now I'm actually being more mindful of the exercise that I do. And movement and sleep are two things that we, nobody teaches us how to move and nobody teaches us how to sleep. And yet those are two really critical things. And then eating is something that I really try to do as we've been talking about. And then some other things that I think are really important to work on are sort of resiliency managing your stress, managing my stress, trying to figure out what am I going to actually focus my efforts on and what, what's not that important and what kind of boulders am I, do I need to push up a cliff versus things that aren't going to matter that much. I think that what this pandemic has done is allow all of us to pause and ask the very important question of what really matters. And so I think, you know, I try to let go of things that don't matter that much and focus on the things that I, I don't know, what do you, what do, you do? What have you been doing? I have been focusing on inward work and focusing on my brand, on Marnie Salop, on being the best I can be across all silos. I'm an athlete and I love working out, doing yoga, but I spend a lot of time doing my own marketing and you know, designing new workshops, doing my own PR. I've never done that before. Uh, I've done everybody else's and just really working on my branding and taking the time to focus on like what that looks like and using what I've done for the past 20 years for everyone else, for me. And it's felt, it's really felt good. Yeah. You know, and I generally eat healthy, but like I'm so on track about that, that I've let myself get a little off track about that. But that was good for me. I'm right. back on track now. Right. But like I had not eaten a Tostito in like probably 10 years. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to eat one. Right. Uh, it wasn't a good day, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever. We've been like cooking and spending time together and, and I've been trying to stay in shape. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, me. it's reconnecting with yourself and yeah. with the things that really matter in your life. I mean, if there's any silver lining of what we've been going through this year, I think it's the opportunity to pause from all the craziness and reconnect with ourselves in whatever way makes makes sense. And that, and I, I think people people should score that because I think that's a positive thing in a year that hasn't been all that positive. Let's talk viruses. How does this all work? What's going on? What are they? I'll take it from big picture first. Viruses are all over the planet. There are many more viruses than any other organism on planet Earth. I mean, literally trillions plus, probably more than trillions. And and there's probably, and I think I um, I read this quote that there are more viruses uh, on the planet than stars in the universe, if you can believe that. Okay. okay. So we're surrounded by them. And what are they? Um, not living entities, really. Um, they are packages of genetic material, DNA and RNA, that are floating around. And by themselves, they can't do very much, to be honest with you. They need a host. They need to find another, uh, they need to find a real living organism that's got real cells to be able to actually attach to and inject their 
DNA or an RNA and, and literally kind of hijack us. They're kind of parasites of sorts. <clears throat> because okay. the parasites are real living things that attack us right. and live inside us. These things aren't even really alive, but when they when they they need a host, so they try to find us like like kind of a zombie. Right, like COVID. Yeah. yeah. And well think about them like zombies. Like, you know, they're 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 looking for living people. And uh, so and when they inject their DNA they, they kind of hijack our own genetic machinery and then they can make more copies of themselves, you know? And so when our body sees a virus and our body has seen plenty of viruses from the time we're born. I mean, you know, like when, from a baby, the first time a baby is taken out of the hospital by their parents, <clears throat> you know, from the car seat, moving in the car, they're being exposed to viruses. Okay. And, and, and most viruses don't kill you, but, but starting from the time you're a baby, your body is experiencing viruses and say, hey, you know what? I, I don't really like this virus thing, so I'm going to make some antibodies, and we're just going to memorize the virus, and um, the antibodies will be made so we can actually tackle it. So that's how we kind of navigate through life, seeing a virus, kind of taking a, a selfie with it, and, and storing that away and saying, next time I see it, I'm going to whip out an antibody to, to knock it out hundreds of thousands of times. And Every now and then you get a virus that is not so harmless. And when it hijacks our cells, it causes sickness. We saw this with SARS. We saw this with MERS. We saw this with, we, we see this with HIV. Um, and we're seeing it with this uh, SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. Every now and then you get a really bad actor, but viruses are not alive by themselves. They look for a host who is alive, like you or me, and then they try to take over the, our own machinery to make copies of themselves. Does that make sense? Got it. Yes, that makes so much sense. That basically it's like, hey, look, this is what is coming. So get ready and build the antibodies. So you're hearing about all these different vaccines that are out there. Actually, in no case that I know of right now, are they actually giving you COVID as the vaccine? But they have little pieces of the virus that make the body recognize the key parts of the virus. And then the vaccine shouldn't give you COVID, okay? But it'll make your body, it'll still piss off your body to kind of recognize a part of that vaccine. And when I say pissed off, I don't, okay. I don't necessarily mean, uh, you know, like make you sick. But what I'm saying is that it, your body basically, you know, it's kind of like a, like I use this analogy of like a, like a guard dog at your house. Like vaccine, the dogs will perk up its ears and say, hey, wait a minute, who's coming onto my, who's coming up the steps? Oh, it's a piece of the um, coronavirus. Well, I'm going to just go ahead and memorize what that thing looks like and make some antibodies, and um, and and we'll and and if we see more of it, we'll attack it with the antibodies. And so that's basically how these vaccines will work. <clears throat> Honestly, we don't really know how well uh, these vaccines are going to work. Time will tell. There's no white knight uh, for this for this pandemic. There's no like single right. drug company is going to come up with a solution. Really, our health belongs in our own hands and what we do for ourselves. I mean, you know, if, we, if you've been able to be pretty healthy in the last eight months, you know, you're, you're doing something right. Keep, keep doing it. Right. And if you've been sick and you've recovered, now you know what you should be doing to actually stay well. And so I think that's kind of like the practical aspect of where we are with viruses is, yeah. you know, yeah. um, well, you know, at the very beginning of this thing, Marnie, I, I made a, I made, I was in a hotel in Michigan and I, I, and I realized that, you know, most people don't really know how to wash their hands and, you know, the happy birthday thing right. aside. So I literally set up my phone in the hotel bathroom and I, and I did a videotape of how to actually 
wash your hands properly. And of course, after that, you know, everybody put one, put a hand washing, they were everywhere. But, you know, like to really see somebody how, how to wash their hands, it's not something that you're really taught. You know, maybe your mom showed you right. when you were little, but doctors are taught to wash their hands and we scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. It's a couple of minutes of scrubbing. And you'd be amazed when you rinse off, like all the junk that comes off your hand. I think when all this is over, and we hope it's going to be over soon, but we don't know when, we're going to be left with a society that's going to be more in touch with cleanliness and sanitation and hygiene. I think we're going to be able to protect ourselves better from viruses in general. I agree. I think we were like really in the dark about all of this. Mm -hmm. And we are just going to have a new protocol, a new way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a... Uh, and I think we do have to look at the silver linings that are out there, right? Because it's so depressing. Otherwise, all this stuff that's happened to us. But so I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full guy. Yes. I'm looking to figure out. I try not to spend too much time in the rearview mirror. I spend the time looking at the windshield. Right. And I like to focus on the horizon. What can we do? But the one thing that you know goes from past to future is the food we eat. And I love um, to be able to, yes. I mean, what I, I just really love this idea that, you know, you can love your food to love your health. That to me is the best news that I can ever share with anybody. Well, this has been so awesome. I completely agree with you. I'm all over the food, just all of the amazing things that are out there in food that we eat and that we can eat every day that we don't even know about that. It's like this whole world, yeah. whole vocabulary of like amazing foods that can help us live better, longer, healthy lives. It's absolutely true. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. <laughs>